Good morning, Grace Vineyard, and those who are watching this on our YouTube channel or listening to the podcast. It is great to be together again. First up, I need to wish all the dads a happy Father's Day and trust and pray that you are being well looked after by your children if they are with you today. I also want to wish my wonderful wife a very happy and blessed birthday. Our children have double duty today, and I know from past experience that we will both be blessed by them today. Today is the second Sunday of us digging into the meat of the message, the body of the sermon that Jesus was preaching to his disciples and all those gathered around him on the mountainside. Let's read today's passage. Matthew chapter 5 verses 33 to 48. Again you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus addresses three aspects of the law in this part of his sermon, giving a new meaning to them compared to the way the Pharisees and the teachers of the law interpreted and taught the law. Jesus has given his interpretation of the sixth and seventh commandments. I spoke on those last week. He now brings his interpretation of the third commandment. In the, in, that's in the first portion of the scriptures that we are looking at today. Verses 33 to 37. I'm, not going to re, I, I'm now going to read both the NIV and the New King James Version of the third commandment. The NIV says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The New King James Version says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
That's Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. Although Jesus does not directly quote the third commandment, he summarizes it with two Old Testament passages. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Numbers chapter 30 and verse 2. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13. The swearing of oaths and making vows was a common practice at the time of Christ and before his time. It was part of the Mosaic law, which is what Jesus is addressing throughout this portion of his message. This is what R.T. Kendall says in his book, The Sermon on the Mount. Why make a vow? Why swear an oath? The issue is one of credibility. How can you be sure one is telling the truth? How can I know I can trust you? Should I really believe you? Can I know for sure you will keep your word? Answer, if one swore an oath, you could be sure it was the truth. If one made a vow, you could count on it being fulfilled. In a word, in ancient times, you could be sure of sure one was telling the truth if one swore an oath. It put an end to all arguments, Hebrews 6.16. If you made a promise, one may or may not believe it. But if you swore an oath or made a vow, one always believed it. One did not violate the oath. Oath and vow were used interchangeably. An oath or vow was the guarantee that what was promised would be made good. A promise may or may not have been reliable, but the oath, when you say, I swear, was an absolute guarantee that the promise would be kept. How was the oath carried out? An oath was executed by appealing to a greater authority, as to God himself. A typical oath was, I swear by God Almighty. Even those outside of God's covenant might say, I swear by the gods. The oath was regarded as totally reliable. There were warnings to taking an oath or making a vow in the law. Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 12. When a man makes a vow to the Lord, or takes an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Numbers chapter 30 and verse 2. When an oath was made in God's name, the person making the oath was seen to be obligated to God to fulfill his oath and not just to the person he was dealing with. This was common practice at this time. But over time, people started to look for loopholes in taking oaths and making vows. Instead of doing it in God's name, they started using other objects to swear by. The heavens or the earth, their mother's grave, which is part of the earth, and even Jerusalem, the city of God. When they swore these types of oaths, it distanced them from being obligated to God in fulfilling their oaths and gave them loopholes at times to get out of their obligations. Jesus says, 
simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. How many times has someone said to you in the middle of a story or conversation, to be honest with you, or now I'm really telling the truth, or something along those lines, and then carried on with the story or conversation? Why do they say that? Is it to emphasize the point they are now making, or have they been lying to you up to that point? Hopefully, it is to emphasize the point they are making. Now this is what Jesus is getting at. Speak the truth all the time. Don't ever make false promises or promises that you know you can never keep. Don't drag God's name into a promise so that it might make you look good and respectable. Because that is misusing the Lord's name. The only time to make an oath is when you are required to do so by the law of the land. Such as when giving testimony in court. To end this portion, I once again want to quote R.T. Kendall. One more thing. When you misuse God's name, Satan gets in. Anything beyond this, instead of speaking simply by letting your yes be yes, comes from the evil one. Do not take the closing phrase about the devil lightly. Consider this. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19. The devil looks for an entry point. When we are falsely accused, we may be tempted under pressure to make ourselves look good and bring in God's name as though he were on our side. Don't do it. You will give occasion for the devil to move in and you will regret it. In this next portion, verses 38 to 42, Jesus moves from looking at the Ten Commandments to looking at aspects of the civil law and how he says we are to relate to them. Most commentators admit that this is not an easy portion of scripture to understand. I will do my best to explain it as best I can. What is our response to be when we come under attack from the enemy through abuse or demands of other people? That is what Jesus is getting at in this portion of the passage. The enemy, the devil, is uncreative and uses the same tactics time after time to get at us. He uses people to abuse us or make demands of us. He doesn't do it himself. Eye for eye and tooth for tooth is part of the civil law regarding compensation due to a pregnant woman who is injured by brawling men. As found in Exodus chapter 21 verses 22 to 24. It is about how much the compensation should be and about not exacting revenge on those who caused the injury. Jesus is showing us how we are to behave towards people who are used by the devil, the evil one, to attack us. We are to resist the devil, not people who are used by the devil, according to James 4, chapter 4 and verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you.
We are to show love and compassion to all people, especially those who are under the influence of the devil. How else are we going to win them into the kingdom of heaven? I'll say more about this in the last part of this message. When we are attacked by an evil person, we are not to attack back, especially if it is a verbal attack. This is what Jesus is talking about here, verbal attacks, not physical attacks. It is the same as when he spoke about gouging out your eye or cutting off your hand. It is metaphorical, not literal. If we are physically attacked, we have every right to defend ourselves. Turning the other cheek is not to do with physical attacks, but what we do in response to a verbal attack. When someone speaks badly about you or defames you, don't go on the offensive and strike back with a verbal counterattack. Keep quiet and let God deal with the attacker. What did Jesus do before the Sanhedrin when he was being falsely accused before going to the cross? He was silent before his accusers. Let us behave likewise, as hard as it is to do. All that we have comes from God. We are only stewards of his possessions. So if someone wants to sue us for something we are stewarding, what are we to do? Is it ours to fight over and try and retain? Or is it God's that we must be willing to release and then let God deal with the person who is fighting us for it? Be generous with the things of God. They are not ours to keep, only to steward. We are to be generous with our time and our finances. Roman soldiers could legally force Jewish citizens to carry their kit for a mile. Do you think the Jews enjoyed being forced to carry this kit? No, unless you were a zealot and were looking for an opportunity to kill the soldier. Jesus says we are to be generous with our time and our finances. When someone asks for our help, we must be willing to do more than what they are asking us to do. Go the second mile with them. Bless them with your time and your finances, especially if it is an unbeliever. In the final portion of today's scripture, verses 43 to 48, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said for the last time, going on to say, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The reality is that the Lord did not say hate your enemy. That was probably a teaching of the Pharisees and teachers of the law who interpreted loving your neighbor as loving only your fellow Jews, not everybody. Now the Jews had a ready-made enemy in the occupying Romans. And so it was easy for the teachers of the law to incite hatred for their enemy. The Pharisees and teachers of the law tried hard to remain in good standing with the Romans, as it meant they kept their entitled position in Jewish society. So once again, it was a matter of do as I say, not as I do. How does Jesus tell us to deal with our enemies? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Would this be your first response towards your enemy or someone persecuting you?
How easy would you find this to do? Why should we do this? That you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. God so desires to have a personal relationship with us. But it has to be on His terms. We need to reflect the heart of our Heavenly Father, and that is a heart of love. God loves everyone. God's love is beyond our comprehension. It is a love so different from the love that the world promotes. They might call it free love, but it's not free love. Most of the time it is about lust and satisfying yourself, thinking of yourself, doing things for your benefit. It is a self-absorbing love, not a generous and unconditional love. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John chapter 3 and verse 16. God's love is wholehearted and generous. When we choose to love like God loves, and love is a choice, not a feeling. It is an act of our will, not of our emotions. We are then set free. When we learn to love our enemy, not necessarily someone we are fighting against, but rather someone very different from us, and with whom we struggle to find common ground. When we choose to love them and pray for them, despite these differences, that is when we begin to be set free from the bondage of hate and discrimination that the enemy wants us to live in and wallow in, and makes us feel justified for hating or discriminating against the other person or people. It is easy, or mostly easy, to love and pray for those who are similar to ourselves. But we need to learn to love those who are different from us, and be praying for them too. In doing this, we become more Christ-like in our hearts, minds, attitudes, and behavior. When we live like this, we can fulfill the final sentence of this portion of Scripture. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Is this not what we are all wanting to be like? Living a life that brings glory and honor to our heavenly Father? I want to close with a last quote from R.T. Kendall's book, The Sermon on the Mount. There are several areas Jesus has in mind when he said, Be perfect, therefore. First, one's temper or rash words. When Jesus mentions anyone who is angry with his brother or calls one raka or fool, he is referring to controlling your temper. Matthew chapter 5, 22. This comes out in Matthew 5, 39. Turning the cheek when someone slaps you on the face. Clearly, he is talking about controlling one's temper. Secondly, we are to resist any temptation to lust. Or to do or say anything that would cause another to lust. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28. Third, we are never to bring God's name into our situation to make ourselves look good. Matthew 5 34. Fourth, we are to pray for our enemies and bless them daily. Just as the Father pours out His Son on the just and the unjust. Matthew 5 45. Be perfect, therefore.
We can do this through the power and strength of the Holy Spirit who Father God has given to us. Let us pray and then we'll look at the questions for the breakout rooms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you that you want to speak into our lives and bring clarity to how we are to live. That we are to have a heart that is like yours. One that loves everyone. That you do not look at people and see differences, but you see our hearts. And internally our bodies are all the same. It's just on the external that we have differences, Lord. And that so often brings about hurt and hatred. The color of our skin, the color of our eyes, the color of our hair, whatever it might be. The way we speak. Lord, these are little things that sometimes can be, become mountains in our lives. And Father, forgive us when we don't deal with them in the right way. Help us, Father, to be like Jesus, who was so willing to give his life for others, for me and for everyone. Father, forgive us when we hurt others. Forgive us when we don't love like you love. Forgive us when we don't turn the other cheek. Thank you, Lord, that we are your children, called by you, loved by you. Thank you, Father. We praise you and bless you. Amen.